Welcome inside 254. Let's close the office door and start the conversation. Calling all high school and college teachers. You asked us for transcripts, resources, and advice on how to teach the subjects we talk about. We heard you and created Inside 254 Teaching Guides. High quality resources are expensive and we know you don't have much money. So we priced our guides cheap. Nothing is more than two bucks because we want to help you teach what we teach. Toxic Masculinity and the first Native American Myth-Busting Guide are now available, and more subjects will roll out as fall semester progresses. You get lecture notes in the form of a narrative transcript of our discussion of the subject, ready-to-print handouts of writing topics, discussion questions, and a bibliography resource list with active links that work. Go to TeachersPayTeachers.com or download the TPT app and search for Inside 254. Download your own Inside 254 Teaching Guide today. The talk around the table today is about imposter syndrome, and how long have we had this on our subject list? This is one of the first topics (laughs) we came up with in 2016, and we keep pushing it back because, you know, stuff keeps happening. (laughs) So we actually feel delighted that we get to do this episode today. We're like, we were just saying, wow, we're finally going to get to do this episode on imposter syndrome. It's like, yay! (laughs) Yay, the world is only slightly crumbling this week, so we can do this. (laughs) So we can do this. I'm going to define imposter syndrome. So I went to psychtests.com. I know, very technical. I don't know what that means, but good. It's psych tests. Like, you can, you know, those fun psychological tests. Are you selling shit to Russia by doing that? I don't know. But no, I didn't do it through Facebook. I actually just went onto the interwebs and was like, I was just looking. I just put in imposter syndrome. This is actually one of the first things that came up oddly enough and i took the test just to see what the result oh, would be and that's i'm fun. yeah I, what it wasn't that sounds like a fun thing to do on it, sabbatical well, it wasn't long it I took know. me about a minute um so clearly very scientifically now <laughs> and it even says like this is just for personal use but the definition is actually pretty good and they they do have some fact in here it says in the 1970s researchers pauline clance and suzanne imes came up with the term, quote, imposter phenomenon to describe the behavior that the former observed in some of her students. It seemed that in spite of their top grades and achievements, they refused to take ownership of their success. Mm, That sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. This tendency isn't limited to graduate students. Many people feel like frauds, like they are not worthy of their success, no matter how many trophies, certificates, or accolades they've received. Or degrees. Right? They diminish the significance of their achievements and attribute them to luck mm-hmm. or other forces outside their control mm-hmm. rather than their own effort, dedication, and even intelligence. For people with imposter syndrome, their biggest fear is that people will soon discover that they are frauds mm-hmm. and not as skilled, intelligent, or competent mm-hmm. as the, they make themselves out to be. Research has linked the imposter syndrome to self-esteem issues, overachievement, and unhealthy levels of perfectionism. And so <clears throat> that was painful to hear. Yeah, Boy, that, hit, that hit close to home. Well, I took the test because I, I mean, I have to admit, I have never felt imposter syndrome in a professional situation. I mean, I get angry when people question like the worth of what I'm saying. You've seen me do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, don't just don't because I have a lot of confidence in professional situations where I do feel imposter syndrome, which is why I think I got a 26 out of 100 instead of a zero is my creative stuff. 
Hmm. Like my photography, like you my don't artwork, my, you're right? Like when people, when people compliment something I've written or something I've created or a photograph or a piece of art, I, I feel like I don't deserve that. Like it's not as good as what their 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 compliment makes it sound like. Mm-hmm. So there are like that's a space where I definitely feel it. I get the sense that most people feel it professionally, and I don't. I'm one of those, I guess, rare people that I'm like, no, fuck it. I know what I'm talking about. And I have no problem. And I know women aren't allowed to be this confident, but I am. So (laughs) good. um, I wanted to share uh, with you and with our listeners. um, We put out a video a few weeks ago asking people to share their stories of the feeling, the sense that they've had imposter syndrome any time in their lives. One of our listeners wrote, and I'm not going to identify this person. I'm just going to say basically, you know, anything that's not identifying to share uh, what they said. They said, I don't know that anyone makes me feel like an imposter so much as I have the poor perception of myself. And I feel like preach. And I feel like an imposter at many slash most faculty meetings that involve faculty outside of like the unit Mm -hmm. that she works in. Mm -hmm. I always feel like we are judged not as, quote, real faculty and that I will forever be trying to prove that I am smart enough to play with the real faculty. The quote unquote big quote boys. Unquote, right. Run with the big quote. boys. And and the, they're using quotes. She's using yes, quotes. Yes, of course. A lot of issues stem from having to wear too many hats or having a foot in too many roles. You know, she, she goes on to sort of identify her background and things like that. And in the position that she's in, um, they do have this unit has a very diverse set of responsibilities and jobs and things that they must do. Lots of hats unique, that they have to right, wear. Like really a unique, unique and amazing skill and, set. And really important, valuable right. to the students, to the faculty, to ev- really everybody who works at the university. This person feels like when they're surrounded by faculty or administrators, like they're in this unique position that we all see value in, but they don't feel like they're good enough or part of the, you know, really part of the group. Like, again, the sort of classic imposter syndrome, I think. And this person also sent me a meme, <laughs> something that they she reminds herself of. And the meme says, sometimes you have to tell the negative committee that meets inside your head just to sit down and shut up. Yes. <laughs> I like that. I think um, when you have imposter syndrome, and I deeply have this, and we'll talk about, I think, how class relates to this as well. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of always waiting to be, quote, unquote, found out. But I don't know that many people have ever actually overtly made me feel that way. I feel very much like that meme of the, the negative committee. And maybe that's from a, you know, a lifetime of, of subtle cues, but... Uh, that committee in your head that's always telling you it's not good enough. Somebody's going to see you for the fraud you are. It's amazing to me how similar when women, usually women, talk about this because there's so many commonalities. Mm-hmm. It's like I, the thing about luck, the mm-hmm. thing about being found out, the mm-hmm. thinking about not belonging. You know, and diminishing your own accomplishments and not being able to take a compliment when someone's like, oh my God, you know, you're amazing. You did this thing or this thing you did is so you know, awesome and you're contributing and this is, and then your instinct is to immediately say, no, it's not that, it's not that great. Right. Right. Instead of, got lucky. Yeah. Instead of just saying, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) I do not feel imposter syndrome when it comes to teaching. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing where I'm like, I'm fucking good at this. This is what I do. But this, the moment we leave that into like scholarship or working with other academics or presenting and I think this is probably surprising to people because I know how to, I mean, again, it's the committee in my head. It's not 
um, creative stuff. I'm sure it's why my book is still not done because we do this. We just yeah, do we this. Do. We are our, with imposter syndrome. There are structural issues involved that make us feel that way. But I think a lot of it is we have convinced ourselves we don't belong. Mm-hmm. Not that anybody is making me feel that way. Right. At this point. No. No, no. I I, right. I'm. I mean, people are assholes, but well, <laughs> but nobody's nobody's ever been like, well, who are you? Yeah, I actually have a really good story about that, yes. and it involves when I was in my master's program. I had a professor who was who came back from a conference, and she was telling us about this very famous, and I'm not going to identify the scholar, <gasps> but it's a very famous he, ma- he. Ma- yeah, it's a he male scholar. Who's, I mean, he's like one of the top theorists in this field, and he's just like, you know, he's just, oh, right, people, this is the kind of person people genuflect, basically, in front of, and like, oh, right? And, and so she was describing him at this conference, and the layers of academic, the circle layers of academics around this, this guy, as like, she was calling it like Dante's circle. Yeah, nine circles exactly, yeah. And like the, the bet, like the more, um, like the more accomplished you are, and the more well known you are, the closer to the center of the circle you can get because the right. right, you know, grad students are like way on the outer ring. That, yeah. Right. And, and so we I remember we had that conversation. I was a master's student and, she, and it made an impression on me because I thought, what the fuck is wrong with these? What? What is that? Did she feel like an imposter? I don't know. Or was she buying into? No, no, no. no. Okay. She was she okay. was she was kind of telling us like, "Can you believe this?" <laughs> we were kind of like, "No. What is that?" But I think imposter syndrome <laughs> relies on that belief that there's kind of a centralized or canonical or central thing, and if you are not that, then you don't belong. I think it very much I think that imagery of circles is really good. Anything, right? Like, oh, you're not smart enough or you're not in the center, right? You're not and you're well in, read enough. You haven't oh, yeah. published right, enough. Right. You haven't I'm just like I'm pulling these These from one our idea. World. These like very yeah. specific centralized ideas about what makes somebody successful. And, and I love that. Yeah. And I love that like that you move out and I would have been like in the right. other room at the bar <laughs> waving Good luck, everybody. I mean, at least I, I I know about myself. I don't really want to opt into that, right? So I well, I'm and you have for I that. Think you have the option now to not. True, but, I mean, things think are about, very different. I mean, for for especially for grad students, like I remember being in my PhD program, oh, God. and one of the bad. professors said to me. Well, you know, you never really get over imposter syndrome. And honest to God, I actually wondered what the hell he was talking about. Because I, <laughs> you had an imposter syndrome moment about imposter syndrome. I, talk about meta. I was, I was That's like, awesome. what the hell are you oh, talking about? I'm gonna about, go Google dude? that. Oh. I do. I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. Because again, I have like a hyper sense of confidence about my professional accomplishments and so for me being in grad school because i went in my 30s this was a professional endeavor for me and it was hopefully leading to being a professor like i was so i was looking at this as professional education and training so of course i'm going to be fine what are you what are you talking about like literally i was like but i think a lot of our grad students they that's not how they think right right and i i see when i when i see imposter syndrome online actually stories and self-help things for grad students come up a lot so I think uh, graduate education is particularly cruel. And I, I think I think academia itself, I think, is pretty cruel and brutal. The expectation that you have to be 
you have to publish in these right journals and you have to do this type of work in order to count and you have to do this to type count. of right that's the big that, thing right and for for it to count as your identity yeah it's very limiting it's very restrictive it's very 19th century still and he, even those people even those scholars who are doing these like really cool groundbreaking multimodal like uh you know crossing boundaries um scholarship um multi-genre type stuff you know they have to work really hard to prove that what they're doing is just as valuable as say a traditional article in a peer-reviewed scholarly journal that three people read i think people who aren't in academia look at our world and assume that we're all we all get along and we sit in these beautiful offices and we think great thoughts and we read all the classics and we know all this stuff meanwhile it's a pretty fucking mean cruel system and nobody tells you about that in grad school and how, how limiting it is for your own identity and how hard it is. And, and I got to say, especially as, as a woman, it is. It's tough. Because when you're doing something that's cool and groundbreaking, you're like, oh, this is neat. Like public scholarship. And then, you know, you have peers or uh, administrators go, well, you know, that doesn't count because it's not, you know, two, the two scholars in the world who do your thing didn't read it. So, mm. I mean, it's just a ridiculous system. And it doesn't help if you have imposter syndrome or you're feeling doubtful about yourself. That just makes it so much worse. Yeah, th there there are many opportunities throughout the day to be felt to feel that way, engaging with other colleagues. Um, something I always joke about with my students is because I'm a scholar of literature, specifically feminist scholar, and um, I wrote a piece on my blog one time about I just like sh like uh, shared my dirty laundry and wrote it about how I've never read Moby Dick and I've never read Virginia Woolf. And oh my God, I'm a feminist scholar and I've never read Jane Austen. And I, you know, and I just list all these things. I tell my students, I'm like, you can be where I'm at and not, there's not only one path. In our case, it's the canon, very, you know, wedded to the canon. Okay, so, you, you know, people want to throw those things. It, there's there's these, this cultural capital of throwing around these terms as if they're shared experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think what we are always trying to do is show that there is a multiplicity of experiences. And then I list all the things that I have fucking read. <laughs> right? Like, and so, right. you know, just oh, because yeah. the canon dismisses this giant list of people that I've read doesn't mean that I don't get to have a seat at the table. And a lot of imposter syndrome is about that. Who gets to have a seat at the table? And you convince yourself it's it it's still you know it's still like the monkey on my back sometimes about these things that i haven't read so i think one thing we can do to counter it is think about what we have done mm -hmm. instead of like the lacks that yeah. we have because there's always going whatever job you're in whatever any of you are doing right if you're a student if you if you whatever have you're a professor yeah. who pretends that they know everything they're full of shit because the only <laughs> thing i learned yeah. when i got my phd is how little i know yes and um, yes. if you can become okay with that yeah. and admit that and be mm -hmm. open about your blind spots, you maybe we can counter the imposter syndrome. We can decentralize or decolonize or deconstruct mm -hmm. the belief that there's one way to be a thing. Mm -hmm. Because I don't really know many people who are being the thing in that way. No, just that one dude who's got the seven, the eight, nine circles. Right, the guy who's in the, the middle of the middle of the Dante's, Dante's Inferno, Inferno of of something. Blah, like blah, blah, all blah. The, the nine circles of academic hell where you, you're, you know, the more famous you are, you get closer to the guy. I mean, those people, those like... Those uh, big scholars, they do exist. I mean, I think they exist sure. in every field. 
in, right? in but, any job or in any business. But, sure. But when we compare ourselves to somebody like that, we're doing ourselves a disservice because we do have skills. We have skills. We have experiences. We've dug down. Maybe you have a lot of knowledge about something. Maybe you've taught yourself a skill and now you're really, really fucking good at it. And maybe you're going to start selling something or offering a service. And you need, you need to know and have that confidence that, yes, you have done the work. So, right, so one of the TED Talks, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole list of TED Talks on imposter syndrome. So anyway, I was this, watching. This just rolled my eyes. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, well, but of course, a, yeah. I mean, it, I think this is a very hot button issue. I've given talks about it before at like women's empowerment summits. Yeah. I think it very much speaks across a broad mm-hmm. swath of people and experiences. So yeah. yeah so, so what one, are they? What are they teaching well, one, us? One, one, one of the women who was one of the women who gave a talk had said something like, "The way to get around it is to basically think your. You have to think your way out of it, mm-hmm. and it's kind of what you just said." You, it's it's the committee in your head, right? It's the it's you're doing it mostly to yourself. So you do have to go. Okay, well, if I don't feel imposter syndrome fe- feelings over in this area of my life, then I need to stop thinking them in this other area of yeah. my life. I need to take borrow from that area where I do feel confident and put it here, hmm. right? Like so, withdrawing from a one account and putting it in another. That's kind of how I'm okay. thinking of it. So one of the and and I also think of this in a way of like and I'm, again I'm pulling it back to my creative work, like the writing, the art, the photography. When I started practicing and really digging down and trying to learn fine art photography, I, I was not the photographer ten years ago that I am now mm-hmm. because I spent the time. And, and really practiced and practiced and practiced. And I challenged myself and I learned, I got books. You've seen the books on I my know. bookshelf. I, I looked at the greats and what they've done and what had come before and different styles. I taught myself, right? And I put the time into practice and do the thing. And in that practice and in the doing, I gained the experience, the skills and the knowledge. So now I do have more confidence in that particular area. But like the art that I'm starting trying to teach, my, teach myself oil pastels. What the fuck I'm doing? <laughs> like I'm literally you're just good starting. at that though. You're See, good at like not knowing what the fuck you're doing. You're you're very good at that. No, I I tend to you leap are because good at life leaping. Short. Well, yeah. you are, and life, I think that I think <laughs> that I think that you know that could be wrapped up in a, a bunch of things. I'm not sure what you know, but I think that not everybody has that kind of. Well, I will leap in but with a tutor <laughs> or okay. a guide, but the leaping thing is, is hard for me without yeah. somebody who I deem, um, you know, good at it to like show a, me the way. Like an expert who can I guide want, you. I have I like guess. a Spanish tuner and a piano teacher. And, you know, I know there's things that a lot of people would just leap in, but I, I feel like I'm drowning. Right. When I leap, That's I want somebody true. to show me a path yeah. and then I will be diligent. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that actually, but because I it, it can be, no, it can't. And it's like, you you know, that's, and it's not, this is just pure leaping, just, just going and trying is not for every, and I right. get that. No, yeah. It's not Cause my, like, I sat there, jam. I sat there the other day for four hours trying to figure out how to, Bless how you. to, oh my God. how to turn my sketch of a big, like a blown up zinnia head into individual petals with oil pastels because oil pastels are blendable but as soon as you start blending it becomes a big mushy mess and i wanted to show individual petals it took me four hours to figure it out i didn't look anything up i didn't i just literally sat with the oil pastels and my my sketch and i i just practiced and did until i figured it out but that's that's again like you said pathways that's one way to do it hiring a tutor yeah that's another <laughs> way like i can take, just right? make somebody teach me but taking a class 
Yeah. That's another way. Yeah. Reading a book or a series of books or watching some videos or it's like, like there are there are so many ways to help yourself. But I think that that, that like, for many people the gatekeeper to those things is the critic in their own head yeah. that tells them they don't deserve that or they'll never be good at it so they shouldn't do it or that compare and despair I'm never going to be as good as that person so why should I try? And you are particularly good at process oriented like just being happy with the process. I'm very good at that with, with my own child, but you yeah. know, we are we are driven by product. And I think when you're in academia, there's so much focus on the product. Anything that's product driven, I am I, I feel yeah. I, I feel imposter syndrome. Anything that's gotcha. process driven, I think I'm fucking great at in the right. sense of helping like teaching oh, you're, or working yeah, you're with my child. Yeah. I can do that. But the moment there's like a product that somebody expects at the end in, you know, like a book, like a, you know, right. the book that I've been writing for 10 years. At this point, it's my problem. I know, I know what it is. Um, or like the article that you have to write or something. But you're really good about producing. I think good, I think, in, I think good imposters outside, just, yeah, just, just push through. You just push well, and through. I think that ultimately that's what you need to do is yeah. you just do it. You just take your anxiety with you or you take that committee with you and you're just like, fuck it, get in the car, buckle your seatbelt because we're going anyway. Right. Because so otherwise there's no choice. Yeah. But well, that niggling voice, you know, imposter you syndrome is the niggling yeah. voice. You know, what you don't want it to do is to stop. What you don't want that voice to stop you. That's from what I want our listeners to or get. Trying right? or being right. Take it with you. Like yep. take, to be like, yep, I hear you, and yep. you're you're full of shit. Just get in the car. Let's go. Right. Like we're doing it anyway. Right. Because just imposter syndrome will shut people down. Yeah. yeah. And it will silence people. And I think that's why I we we put it on the list so early yeah. on. And I think it's why you know I've been asked to talk about it at, at different things because it speaks to people across classes i think it has a you know there's a class element there's a gender element there's obviously a racial element that if you have grown up feeling like you don't deserve a seat at the table for me it was you know in the sense of class you know it's a it's hard to go from a family that didn't i my parents didn't go to college to being in academia all the time like there are definitely times where i'm just like this is fucked up. I can't believe I'm, this is, people call this work. And it is work. Like, it's actual work, people. I don't want, I'm not delegitimizing my own work, but mm-hmm. I'm just like, I I almost feel bad. Like, I almost have, like, weird survivor's guilt about it. Like, I think class, when you're always trying to show that you belong, because I went to a wealthy high school, mm-hmm. and then you go to college, and you're the first one, you have no freaking idea what to do. And you're just looking. You're just watching. Oh, when I got to my PhD program, I sat in that first class and I was like, I don't know what any of these words are. Now these are the words that flow out of my mouth. But I was like, what the fuck is agency? What is the, what is what is all right? This? But but the idea of practice, 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 practice. knowledge building, go yes. deep, learn, and then and then the confidence does grow because the words just roll off. And now you're like, yep, I know this shit, right? I and do, like, I do. But when I start to write a journal article, and it, I think people. I think a lot of people will probably feel this. It's like every time you start over on something, it all start. You have to like convince yourself again that you maybe this will eventually go away. I don't I don't know. Mm. I'm guessing not. But I mean, I think a lot of women, Mm -hmm. especially in their workplaces, feel this way. Yeah. They feel like they don't deserve a seat at the table. And then what they do Mm. is they overachieve to right. compensate right. to feel like they're proving it. Right. And that's the other problem that you mentioned in the definition, yeah. right? The overachievement, 
the perfection. The perfectionism. Because the moment yeah. you drop one ball, right. everything's going to come shattering down and everybody's going to realize that you are the fraud that you are. Right. Which you're not. Which you're not. Which you're not. A lot of high achieving women in a lot of big, you know, responsible positions, I think, probably do feel this way sometimes. And I don't, I mean, I don't know what the, the magic ticket is other than to just, you know, the practice, the experience and trust yourself. Trust that the work that you've done, the education you've received, the practice that you've done, the experience that you have, that proves, like remind yourself, mm-hmm. that proves that you are not and you need to tell that committee to shut the hell up. Tell that committee. <laughs> and also know, I think I remind myself this often, is that not every, that there are other people in the room feeling that exact same way right now. Yeah. It's hard and to that remember that though. It is very, it's, it's you kind of want to wallow yes. in your not, lack of belonging. But if yeah. I, if I look around, yeah. I I you know I know that this is running through other people's heads, and then yeah. you don't feel as alone. You're like, okay, well, I'm not the only one that feels mm-hmm. this way, and here we all are still. Yeah, I worry about the women or the people of color yes. or the people on the margins who don't even feel like they can get to that place. Not not of their own fault, right? But because they have been taught yep. that if they are in that place. They don't belong, and you or or if you get to get that seat at the table, you have to speak differently, yep. or you can't be who you are, or you can't wear your hair long because you're an indigenous person, right? You have to play a part. I think and a God lot forbid of this is you push back, right? And God forbid right. you, and you're not allowed to dispute or anything. You you hear somebody in like a meeting say something, you stupid or racist or bigoted. You can't be the one to speak, right. like even though you're like. You, know, you can so that I I feel like that might be part of it too. Like your your own value. Like if you if you let that committee take over, suddenly that's the silencing. Even in a moment where you have every right to speak up, and you should. But for years and years and years, you've, you've had told, your hand yeah. slapped if right. you did. Right. So and I, you can see. So this I is get about it. power too. This is all. This is about structure. It's about mm-hmm. power. It's about individuals. Yeah. But you know, I don't I don't hold individuals at fault. If Mm -hmm. this is something they experience because it feels so gendered or so racialized because of those structural inequities that are in place to keep people down. And then all of a sudden you have somebody coming up who maybe have some of those identities and they want to push back and the voice in their head again, because of all this structural inequity they've experienced, they're like, I don't really know if I should. Meanwhile, they should be the person like that. They have the right. They have the value and they have the point the right point right and it's stopping them from which is why like some of the um like indigenous scholars uh, women scholars that i know i just i admire them so much because they have done one of the one of the women who's going to be our fierce woman warrior this episode i remember something that she said in a presentation that she did when i was in in my phd program and i went to a conference and she was presenting um and she said something to the effect of we have to know the canon better yes. than our non-Indigenous colleagues. Yes. We have to be able to know it, use it, and then start yes. incorporating right yep. the in some of the theories that we want. Like, we have to know it better. Yep. And that has always that's struck a great, with me. I love that. I mean, it's I don't love that that's no, a I, thing, but I, I, I so get that. Yeah. yeah. It's like you have to prove that you've done the right thing, quote-unquote, the right thing or the right path before you're allowed to even create something beyond it or dispute something that's there. Like you have the, the, the wall is extra so high the for people in those marginalized this. communities. Yeah. And that's incredibly unfair and sort of speaks to our 
the conversation we've we've had we've had in the past on things like privilege and structure, but I mean these things are all tied together, right? These things don't exist in a vacuum. Well, because these I'm sure what happens to Malia and is yeah, I'm sure <laughs> what has happened to Dr. Powell mm-hmm. at some point is something that happens to me, and people want to like they're trying to find the hole, so they'll you know they'll be like. Well, have you read Jordan Peterson's entire book before you make a claim about it? And I'm always like, I'm not making a claim about it. I'm not. I'm not doing that. But they're. It's like they're. They're trying to find the one thing, and I think that's what somebody with imposter syndrome lives in terror of. Mm. Is the one thing. It's like the Jenga. It's like the one piece that they're gonna pull it, and you're gonna come crashing down because that actually does happen. So you feel like you have to know all the other stuff to arm yourself against that like one dickhead who stands up at a conference and we've all been there. We've all been there. Where Who's they stand up after a presentation. The, uh, do your impression. It's my favorite. Well, I have a question and then proceeds <laughs> so to make a five minute yeah. fucking statement that has no question in it. And but it's just all about how you're it, wrong. Yeah. And, how, how and it's all wrong. about how you're wrong. <laughs> And so I do I do think that it's important. I love I'm sorry to invoke Brene Brown because I know she can be a, like a little psychopoppy, but mm-hmm. she does the hard work and she's a researcher. And I really like her book, Daring Greatly, because she's like, you got to be in the ring. And those assholes are just dancing around it, throwing cheap shots. Like, but if you're in the ring, you're not an imposter. You are in the ring. You're going to get punched at. Mm-hmm. People are going to come at you. Mm-hmm. But it's better than being those like jerks who dance around mm-hmm. if you feel like you're an imposter you have you have to force yourself into that proverbial ring mm-hmm. there really is no other you, it's like fake it till you make it basically yeah, is what we can do yeah. as people yeah as as cliche as that phrase sounds it really does have uh, value yeah there are a lot of days where i'm faking it yeah (laughs) yeah i mean you just have to you you know and certainly when i was when i was younger and starting out professionally in advertising and journalism and things i was i had a lot of days where i was not feeling confident but again that's why i keep coming back to this like i don't know maybe it's because i'm 48 and i fucking had it but like i like literally like i know shit now but you and also I know sought out so. mentors. When I was 22, I didn't feel the way I do now. But we're, right? And we're not telling 22-year-olds to be no, brazen. No. But you seek out mentors. Like you you know what you don't know. Yeah. And you learn it. But I think Know your limitations. Yeah. You know, everybody has limitations. We all do. And you continue to have limitations. But yes. those limitations change over time. Right. But that idea of, look, the world is hard and evil and mean enough you don't need to have that person in your head telling you that you're not worth sitting at the table. Other people are going to think that. Fucking let them think it. Bring, Just go bring sit the at the committee table. with you. Bring the committee with Get you. Get them some snacks. Yep. And tell them to shove shut it up. down their throats. <laughs> shut up while you're sitting tell there. Tell the your committee of ten right. in your head that's yeah. telling you you're not. Because ultimately, this is like you're not enough. You're not yeah. good enough. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Just, just be like, yes duly noted yep, thank I, you committee yeah i hear your point and i disagree moving right. on moving right. on <laughs> yeah i think that's ultimately what we're asking people to do is yeah. is take it with them if they so have it really to. is a mind shift and you i was just thinking this yourself. is very much about like meditation you know it's very similar that. kind of disrupting yeah. disrupting it right it's mm-hmm. a, almost like a meditative practice to undo your compare and despair imposter syndrome i think that's a good place to end so people tell the committee to sit down and shut the hell tell up them to shove it <laughs> Shut that committee up in your head. Love it. Time for... Trumpster Fire! Colleen. Oh, Amanda. 
we need to talk about that anonymous op-ed in the New York Times and Trump's reaction to it. Yeah, so we're going to talk about what Mr. Trump had to say and what he did. So let's let me start. I'm not going to I'm not going to read the op-ed and I'm, I just, I love that we're just like the op-ed. The ever you like if you've been hiding under a rock for the last month and you don't know what I'm talking about, then just Google just op-ed <laughs> anonymous. Anonymous op-ed. You'll get it. New York Times, it'll be the first thing that comes up, I promise. Yeah. So this anonymous op-ed, just as a baseline, somebody or some people, I don't know, in, <laughs> in, the, in the Trump cabinet or administration wrote this anonymous op-ed, and it was published in the New York Times. <laughs> You're like, and it was published because it's lame. But, well, here's the problem. When I first saw it, my initial reaction was, Joy. I was mm-hmm. like, this is so. Oh my god! Pennies from heaven. Oh my god! Oh my god! It's 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 happening. It's this happening. time it's really happening. It's really happening. It's really happening. And like within, I mean, within seconds of having that response, my next thought was, this feels very paternalistic, and father yeah. knows best. Yep, like, yep. don't worry, kids. We've got this covered. Don't worry. <laughs> you should see her face right now. It's and. Really funny. And I'm immediately just got the skeevies like, oh, my fucking God, you assholes. Yeah. Like if you and so I and people kept saying to me online, like, well, no, I think, you know, the New York Times vetted and it's a real person. I'm like, I'm not I'm, questioning. I don't it. doubt that. If yeah. it's a legitimate person or people who wrote it, I'm not question. I, I do believe that there is a person or people who wrote it and who are in the Trump administration. That's not what I'm questioning. I'm questioning its intent. And I don't think it's in its intent. I think its intent was designed to get those of us who truly oppose the Trump administration to just calm down mm. and shut the fuck up for a, a while. Comforting, comforting. Yeah. So I really, pacifier. really, I really want to be happy about this, but I just can't be. Well, and so immediately, <laughs> I look to see what Donald Trump has said about it because I can't be on Twitter right now. I just yeah. am not because it's bad. Yeah. I mean, it, you yeah, just yeah. have to gotta take a break. And so I find a video of him responding to it. Which she immediately sent that me. That I immediately sent Which I did not see yeah. until she sent it to me because I am now ignoring so, everything Trump. Y- yes. And so, which is wise. <laughs> Why are you ignoring everything Trump, Amanda? Because I just, I know exactly what I'm going to see. Yeah. I know the story. I've seen it before. I know exactly what he's going to say, what people around him are going to say. I know what the problem is. And like literally the insanity coming out of the White House is the exact fucking same thing every time and i know what i'm going to be reading so i don't need to read it because i already know the story same anyway <laughs> same so, <laughs> same. so <laughs> but i watched this video and you just see donald trump it's a news video and you see donald trump and then just a series of bottom halves of dudes <laughs> on a dais or something on risers and i'm like who and he's and so donald trump has got his weird pouty arm crossing thing going and he's you know, you the fuck these. This person's a coward, and 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 the people you can't see them clapping, but you're hearing them clap and guffaw behind him. So I send it to a man. I'm like, who are these fucking people standing here? Because there's no context. I have no idea who these people are. Uh, I don't know. So I mean, I eventually found out the next day that he was in front of a room full of sheriffs or something. Probably a bunch of sheriff arpeo people probably but um yeah his response was unhinged 
Uh, isn't that actually the name of a book? Unhinged. Oh, that's isn't that oh, Amoroso? I call oh, her because Amoroso. Amoroso. <laughs> but when you're in Philadelphia, you call her Amoroso because you see those words, all those letters all together, and all you see is Amoroso. Yeah. Um. But Amoroso, isn't that her book? Unhinged. Omarosa, I mean, unhinged. his Amoroso. His yeah. his. It was it was like legitimately unhinged, like yeah. publicly insane yeah. like ranting like it, it like what he was saying and then the like treason yeah. tweet treason all caps question mark and you're like first of all anybody who actually goes on twitter would never open themselves up to that because all you're gonna get is like subtweets of like insanity yeah. which he doesn't care but no, right but see you treason? know you know the Tre- story it, do you yeah. know tre- treason I, I, like the, again, really that's what you think this is publishing an op-ed <laughs> in the new york times is treason okay so to be serious for a moment yeah he i mean and we've talked about this before his attacks on the media his uh dismissal of the new york times of cnn of basically any media outlet right the uh, dismissal and the the sto- stochastic terrorism yes. Um, that comes up in his rhetoric against journalists, you know, yes. the, the dog whistle suggesting that they should be punished or hurt and, oh, wouldn't it be great if somebody did something, right? Yes. And, like, so, the again, nothing exists in a vacuum. This is all part of a whole. And he is a hole. And <laughs> I wish he would disappear down a hole. No, so no. if we're going with the whole theme. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, it, it, I mean, but did you really expect him to do anything other than no. go and crazy so now and be I'm nuts? Lo- so now what I'm looking for, <laughs> it's like several layers. Um, so I'm looking for, I don't actually really care about his response anymore. Yeah. What I'm more interested in, in is other people's response to his response. That's what I was interested in. We're getting very meta. I, I was just thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. But now I like, want, I don't care about his response anymore because no, it's either. so scripted. But I think it, I like, I feel obligated to pay attention to what yeah. other people are saying or doing or clapping in that regard. Right. I was, I was so taken aback that people felt like they should be clapping and cheering and whooping. Dear leader. For him, for his what seemed to me like rantings of a lunatic mm-hmm. and I apologize to any lunatics that <laughs> I just offended by saying that <laughs> I don't I don't know I don't I don't even know if this segment can be sustained because at this point <laughs> at this point what are we talking what do we do here's the thing here's the thing <clears throat> we started Trumpster Fire when we started this um podcast 2016 specifically i can't i can't do this with straight face uh, specifically to sort of have shenanigan watch right to keep yes. track of like is it but here's but also to not take the air out of everything right and talk about him get, all yeah. the time for right. every episode we didn't yeah. want him and his we didn't want him on every table idiocy yeah. being the only thing we talk about right. that was what episode. we were afraid of so that's why we created this so we compartmentalized him but this fire, I think, has um, evolved to really we talk more about, like, again, like what you just said, the things going on around him or the people around him or the responses to him. Because honestly, we know his jam. We know the dumpster his has literally burned. <laughs> it's a tire fire. It's not a dumpster fire. It's a tire fire. There's like a pile of ash. Yeah. And yeah. it's just smolder. Like, we know, I don't know what's what to in say it. about him anymore. Exactly, which is why it's sort of evolved. But yeah. I think we'll leave the name the same and we'll still shenanigan watch. But I mean, it really, it's just, it, it's, 
And I know it's I know it's serious, but it's just a joke. He's a joke. And it's a joke. Yeah. I mean, this is just it's like we're living through a, a Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we've all like like time traveled or like mind shifted to this other reality where we're like living through this satire skit. It's yeah, like, that's exactly. It feels like I'm I, living in a satirical novel. I can't help novel. but laugh because I'm like, I already know what he's going to say. I know what he's going to tweet. I know what he's going to think. I know what he's going to do. Right. Like I know, I know that now. It's like in my bones, I know it. Let's talk about how Barack Obama came back. Oh my God, he's let's so talk. Awesome. Okay, so let's just let's just talk. Maybe we should talk okay. about. Let's talk about. I thought we were going to make this short. No, let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about what Donald Trump has not been invited to, because now two famous dead people, two famous dead people have said, even when I'm dead. I don't want your filth near me. So dead the, people, Barbara Bush and John McCain have said in my corpse state, you are not to come near me. Wasn't Aretha Franklin in there too? Oh, I, I don't know. I thought, Oh, she, I don't know. Well, that's another she, famous. Well, why would he go? Why would he go know. to that? I don't know. I'm just saying. Oh, and oh, and talk about people who like paying attention to the things people right, are that's doing what around I'm paying him. Attention so to. get this. So, so I, the day of, the day of the memorial services that the were McCain for yeah. McCain and Aretha Franklin yes, were yes, the yes, same day Saturday. at the exact yes, same yes. fucking time. It was a, an amazing American moment <laughs> to me. Because I am a glutton for punishment, I'm just so curious. I couldn't resist. I sat down. I turned the TV on. I saw MS, I put MSNBC on, and they were covering John McCain's funeral. I thought, huh. We watched that. I thought, yeah. huh. I wonder what Fox News is doing right now because usually when I turn to Fox News in one of those moments where I have that thought, they're doing something like, so today in bullet sales, you know, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> so I'm like, I wonder what they're doing right now. And I flipped it over and it was, they were, they were covering Aretha Franklin's funeral. Stop it. We are living, like, we are living in upside like, down times. Oh my no, God. they were not. Oh my God. I was like, what? Oh my, Fox News they're, like live? I, I, like yes, live? yes, they were live. And I was like, oh my God, I think I made the comment on my social media that Fox News fans were like flipping around and checking their station because what happened to their safe space? And who are all these brown people on their screens? Like, <laughs> I'm right. like, because so in other words, my, my point it's is, very they were, unsettling. they... Fox News clearly dislikes John McCain so, so much, much that they, that they would, do they would rather cover Aretha Franklin's funeral <laughs> than John McCain's. Yeah. Well, that's like, because oh, even in damn. death, John, well, and and I, we weren't planning on talking about this, but it's fun. John McCain's funeral was one big, giant, fat fuck you to Donald Trump. The whole thing. The speech. And I don't like Meghan McCain. I, I don't like her. On Honestly, the view. I, don't, I don't know much about her. I, she, you know, that's I don't fine. Know you do your thing. But it was very moving. And she was just like, like, there were times where they would show Ivanka and Jared. And I'd be like, why are they there? Oh it has got to be so uncomfortable. And then Barack comes up there. And now Barack is on the stump speeches. And I'm just like, oh, please come save us from ourselves. <laughs> Please, Barack. Maybe this will become the Barack Watch. Maybe that's what we should call it from now. Barack, Barack Watch. Watch. <laughs> See what, 
where he's popped up oh, and what he's, who he's stumping for today. I don't know. But it, and, and that's the thing. So when we started this, it was out of uh, the, not only the, the podcast, but this, this particular episode was really trying to compartmentalize um, this person that we feel such despair and, and anxiety and anger over. But it truly, that's why we're laughing. It truly has become a fucking joke. It's like, yeah. like, like, I, and, and like to I, the point where we've talked about getting rid of it. Like, yeah, do we, we have. keep this? Do we like, keep, because, because we just say what's the, the same point? thing. Yeah, we keep, yeah. I feel like we're, yeah. so I tell you what, dear listener, if you want to sort of register your opinion, we've sort of agreed to keep it, but if you can give us a compelling reason to either change it to something else, or you want us to do a, a segment on something else that we something haven't else. thought of yeah. that, to replace this, please do email us or, you know, send us a private message on one of our social medias and let us know, because we're open to, I mean, literally, we that's why we're laughing. Because like this is like on repeat. We keep saying right. this, like we keep feeling like we're saying the same things, and it's yeah. like so funny at this point because it's ridiculous. And if you just laugh with us for five minutes every two weeks or ten minutes about it, Thir- or thirteen, thirteen no. minutes, <laughs> um, we're we just we we're okay with that. Too. We are we're fine with that because we need to release it. I mean, we take obviously we take very seriously in our lives the deep. <laughs> implications of donald trump i mean but let's be but honest for 15 I think, minutes yeah. we're just laughing about it because we don't know what to yeah. say no because and i and i think a lot of us and i think both of us fall into this category a lot of us have taken a lot of the implications of his presidency very much to heart and and it really is devastating and so and it's called true i mean true anxiety for not yeah. only us but for a lot of people so I honestly, at this point, don't have any compunction about laughing about it because right. I and I think I mean, it's now bigger than him. Oh, yeah. I think that's why I'm paying attention to others and yeah. not him anymore because yeah. I just think it's bigger than him. Yeah. Like his, everybody just expects him to be a, a, an idiot. Yeah, I, I don't. He he's the village fool. Yeah, like right. I don't exactly. know. Yes. we unless you love him, you're probably at this point going, "Who is?" I mean, how many yeah. how many books? Did do people need to write about this? Like at some point yeah. he keeps saying, Oh, this is fake, this is fake. I'm like, how many things say the same thing? Yeah. At what point what is the tipping point yeah. for people yeah. to finally be like, Oh, well, this hundred and sixteenth thing of the same <laughs> thing is finally where I'm gonna maybe tip. What it's not going to happen. No. 30%. Remember that. 30%. 28. Joe Scarborough talks about it. I'm just it. saying. now I watch that, that per- shit. But that Jeez. percentage, that percentage of people who were with him before, who were with him through it, and who are His with base. him now, they are not going to change. Right. They, but everybody else, <laughs> maybe they're laughing with us too. I don't know. <laughs> I hope so, because otherwise you're crying in a corner. And for that, and I'm we, very yeah. sorry. And we would rather you like laugh with us. And we'd rather you laugh about this. And, and sometimes we should just not take it so seriously, because we know, we know, we know the story. Yeah. It's a story we've heard before now for two fucking years. We know exactly what he's going to do and say. So <laughs> Trevor Noah said, said um, <laughs> you know, that this is the every time they're like shocking, breaking news, yeah. shocking. He's like, you know, what would be shocking if they reported that Donald Trump was teaching coding to children and read Shakespeare that day. That should be breaking news. <laughs> Everything else is not shocking at this point. And I thought that was brilliant. That was just perfect. And we're going to end on yeah. that note. <laughs> Thank you, Trevor. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, 
I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! Hey, Inside 254 listeners. Do you know why we started this podcast? Real talk. To help you process and survive the daily barrage of bad news in the Trump era. Are you worried about the loss of women's rights to our own bodies? Are you angry about the cruelty of the GOP? Are you anxious about the upcoming November midterm elections? Like us, you feel frustrated, angry, sad, maybe even a touch of despair as you imagine the end of our democracy. We are in this fight together with you. Empower yourself by joining our community and feel less alone. So instead of buying us a cup of coffee to thank us for the work that we do, contribute a dollar a month to our podcast. Inside 254 helps you think clearly about important issues affecting your family, your job, and your community. We need you in this fight. Become a patron today. If you think for one second that the Capitol will ever treat us fairly, you are lying to yourself. Because we know who they are and what they do. This is what they do. And we must fight back. We dedicate ourselves to collective resistance. Resistance to the billionaire mortgage profiteers and gentrifiers. Resistance to the healthcare privateers. As I have said, and as I believe, the advancement of the full participation of women and girls in every aspect of their societies is the great unfinished business of the 21st century. And not just for women, but for everyone. And not just in far away countries, but right here in the United States. Thank you for understanding that sometimes we must put our bodies where our beliefs are. Sometimes pressing send is not enough. <laughs> if, if we want to give all of our children a foundation for their dreams and opportunities worthy of their promise, if, if we want to give them that sense of limitless possibility, that belief that here in America there is always something better out there if you're willing to work for it, then we must work like never before. This episode's Fierce Woman Warrior is Dr. Malia Powell. My favorite thing, the thing that I will come in for even when I'm grumpy and tired and really don't want to go out into the cold in January, are um, graduate students. I know that graduate students are always thought of in a kind of afterthought kind of way, right? Undergrads are the main purpose of the university, but graduate students are people who are going to make knowledge tomorrow. And, and sort of moving, supporting them as they move through those really important transitional processes, I find to be really quite rewarding. I met Malia for the first time when I was a PhD candidate at Auburn University, and I was pretty bold approaching her, but nervous as hell. 
She was this superstar scholar with incredible name recognition, respected in our field, and I was a 30-something grad student just beginning my deep dive into contemporary indigenous rhetorics. She was the epitome of kindness, graciousness, and wisdom then, and has continued to be my most valued professional mentor beyond my own dissertation advisor. I can always count on Malia to be honest and upfront, calling me on it when I'm wrong, and supporting me when I try something new. Malia's professional Facebook page, Malia Powell, PhD, describes her as, quote, an indigenous, mixed-blood, feminist, cultural rhetoric, scholar, teacher, practitioner, artist, writer, administrator, anti-racist, anti-heterosexist, anti-ableist activist, who is focused on, quote, American Indian material rhetorics, the production of space through practices rooted in the land, adapting indigenous pedagogies to build humane graduate curricula, learning to teach better in graduate classrooms, making sure indigenous women, men, people are seen and heard in academia, making our professional organizations safe for diversity, making rhetoric, making theory, making art. She also describes herself as mother, daughter, grandmother, sister, aunt, partner, editor, leader, member, queer, poet, romance, novelist, beadworker, human being. <laughs> I also love the header on her Facebook page, quote, things are not getting worse, they're getting uncovered. We must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. I admire and respect Malia for her scholarship, her leadership and activism, her gracious friendship, her honesty and her constant work in cultivating and teaching graduate students, even the ones who aren't in her program at Michigan State. <laughs> she is a fierce woman that you should know, and I recommend reading anything she's written to learn new stories and gain new knowledge about Indigenous experiences. If you know a fierce woman warrior who is taking action in her community in some way, Please send her name and information to us at inside254podcast at gmail.com or send us a private message through our Facebook page. And we will do the necessary research, reach out to this person, but this is not an interview segment. As you see, this is about amplifying women's advocacy and work in communities. So nominate a Fierce Woman Warrior today. Let's take a time out for a Media Minute. Tara Westover's memoir, Educated, reminded me of the dangers of imposter syndrome and has shifted the way I approach students in my class. Raised in a terrifyingly misogynistic and confusing household, Westover finds her way to college even though she never had a formal elementary or secondary education. When she arrives at college, she actually is an imposter in the sense that she is forced to deceive everyone, students, professors, clergy, about her lack of experience in a classroom in order for her to survive her undergraduate education. For example, she knows nothing about the Holocaust and asks for a definition of it during an art history class. Instead of admitting the truth, that her parents never told her once about the terrors wrought during World War II, Westover tells people that she has a terrible sense of humor and apologizes for her distasteful joke. Westover's story reminded me of my own undergraduate experience as a first-generation college student at Penn State, a kid who had no idea how to do college and watched the other kids to see what they did. 
Everyone felt so slick and put together, myself and Westover such outsiders. I was only on the margins, however. Westover wasn't even on the page. Westover's book will show the pain and resilience required for her to no longer be an imposter, but to instead now be a person deeply embedded in the academy that once felt like no home to her. Let's end today's podcast with some activist actions. Today's activist action involves your money, specifically conducting a paycheck checkup through irs.gov. So I'm going to walk you through how to do this. I did it. And the result was that it was suggested that I change my withholding category in order to not get hit owing the government money. So you start simply by going to irs.gov. And if you scroll down the page about halfway, you come to do a paycheck checkup. So this is a withholding calculator. You click on that. And the IRS here on the landing page for this calculator says that this calculator will help you identify your tax withholding to make sure that you have the right amount of tax withheld from your paycheck at work. Because of the potential changes to your paycheck this year, possibly you could have too little tax withheld and might end up facing an unexpected tax bill uh, at tax time. And so in order to prevent that, I went and did this, and I'm encouraging all of you to do this as well. So if you go to this, this withholding calculator, you scroll down the page, it doesn't ask you anything personal. The calculator asks you to estimate the value of your 2018 income, the number of children you'll claim for the child tax credit and earned income tax credit, and some other items that might affect your 2018 taxes. It only took me it actually took me less than five minutes to do this. I did pull my W-2s and my uh, 2017 taxes just for some reference numbers, but I guesstimated on some of these numbers um, to the best of my ability. And I think the more accurate your information, I think the more accurate your results will be. So, you know, you might want to spend the extra couple of minutes looking up some of that information. But if you click on the withholding calculator... The first thing it asks you is some general info on what your filing status will be on your 2018 income tax. And you click continue, and then it goes some more general information, the number of jobs you've held this year, the number of dependents, any earned income tax credits that you might be expecting. And then the third page is on income and withholding. You're supposed to enter your gross wages that you expect to receive in 2018. Extra bonuses, also the federal income tax withheld to date in 2018, and also the specific amount of federal income tax withheld from your last salary payment, along with other things. There's non-wage income adjustments and stuff like that. So if you go through this whole process, what you'll end up with, it'll calculate for you a suggestion for what your withholding status should be at your place of employment so that you don't get hit with a big tax bill. I recommend anybody, if you saw your paycheck change this year with uh, the federal tax changes, you should do this just to make sure you're going to be in a good position. I think none of us want to end up, end up with a big tax bill at the end of the year. Go to irs.gov this week and do a quick checkup on your paycheck. Thanks for spending time with us inside 254. You can find us a lot of places online. On Facebook, we're at Inside 254 Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Inside 254 Pod. On Instagram, we are at Inside 254. And on WordPress, where we post links and places that you can go to donate or learn more about our activist actions, 
We're at inside254site.wordpress.com. You can find our free episodes on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and you can also just Google us. There are two things you can do to help us build audience today. You can go onto Facebook, click one of those stars, and leave a comment as feedback, and then you can go to your listening platform and rate us on there as well. By doing those two things, that's going to get our word out and help us build our audience. Thank you for helping us grow.